0: Well, I don't know, uh, as we start a new series of messages, and if you're listening by podcast, then you may not appreciate what I'm about to show the people in this room, um, that uh, a couple of photos that I think will speak louder than words, and you help me with this. What is the difference between these two individuals? All right, think about it for a moment. You got two people with their mouths wide open, two people in yellow and green, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, you've got one person who's probably got a, a beer and a nacho in one hand. Another one's got gloves on ready to tackle somebody. Clay Matthews is on the right and uh, a linebacker for the Green Bay Packers. Clearly totally in the game, but you can't, you can't negate to some degree this unknown, unnamed cheesehead on the left, uh, is fully engaged in the game as well. But what is the difference? One is actually in the game and the other is not. Alright. He may be in the stadium. He may be in the seats. He may have, uh, yellow and green from top to bottom, inside and out. He may have season tickets. He, he, he may, there's so many things that he may be, but there is one thing he is not. He is not in the game. And there's a difference between the two and that difference is a fan versus a follower. Uh, versus a person who's in the game. And we launched a new series of messages today, and I'm going to give a lot of imagery today uh, to kind of help launch us and get us going in a direction. But But really what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking through the Gospels. When I talk about the gospels, it's an overused word today. It's not everything that everyone says it is. It is two things. It is the four books of the first new, of the New Testament, and it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. All right? That is the gospel. And we're going to be talking through the gospel books, narratives, and kind of unpacking uh, what a fan looks like versus a favorite. But let's keep on this fan thing for a moment, because I'm not dogging fans in any stretch here. In fact, when you look... At fans, this fan included, uh, you see a whole lot of patriotism about them. I love this photo, even though I don't know the lady. I did had to look up the guy's name. Is Aaron Murray, quarterback for the for the Bulldogs? Um, If there's any Bulldog fans in the house, I think there are. Uh, There's at least one. I don't know why you'd be that, but anyway, uh, we'll go on. no, uh, so but Mildred uh, Bradford is her name here. 96 years old. She is infatuated with this guy. All right, can you see the love on her face? If I was 60 years younger or whatever, I would I would be all about. But you know the point is is that he, she loves him. He's a fan. She's a fan. He's a player. There's a there is a difference. But fan. With fandom, you have infatuation. Uh, with fandom or a fan, will spend a lot and sacrifice a lot to be a part of the game, all right? You might even sacrifice your marriage. Um, I do not recommend this, but uh, this fan obviously was very loyal to his angels. Um, there's also very little shame when it comes to fandom. Uh, you'll be. Y'all aren't laughing at this one. This is people with pigs on their heads and pigs on their belly, and and you see a lot. You might even know some people in those photos. But uh, I mean, people like this—they call hogs and pigs, and they, they 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 worship pigs. It looks like on Saturdays or whenever it is. But there's a little shame when it comes to your team and your sport that you're that you're you're believing in. But sometimes, even when you look at fans, they will endure pain. Uh, I like this fan catching it in the eye and man, you know, at least he got a baseball out of the deal. Um, I actually was watching, looking at this photo. I actually like the lady behind him. She's seeing everything happening and laughing on the inside or even on the outside as this person. I don't know if she knows him or not, but, uh, is getting a big black eye right now. Christianity has a lot of fans. All right. The Christian faith has a lot. Of fans. About 30,000 fans will gather in all kinds of places over this weekend. Places like pubs, alternative locations, or school cafeterias, or in buildings like this that have been dedicated to an act called worship, dedicated to uh, this whole idea of the church coming together in one place. This is not the church we are the church, the body of Christ, the followers of Christ are the church. But we come to buildings like this. 30,000 people across our land will do that and more. Uh, and we also have our own fan base. We also have our own fan markers, if you will, that mark us uh, as followers of Christ. Whether it's a bumper sticker that's in Greek and we know what it means, or it's a t-shirt or a bobblehead or a tattoo. And you can even be Eminem rap star and wear a cross. And we look at that and we go, no, that doesn't fit. That doesn't go together. But there's so many people who if you pin them down ask them, where are they? Are you Muslim? Are you Hindu? Are you Christian? They'll say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Really? I'm not saying that about anybody. I'm not going to judge anybody in this room, beyond this room. I'm not going to try to throw anybody under the bus. In fact, but what I hope that this series does is it will drive at you asking yourself the question in light of the truth of this book and the Spirit of God speaking to you. And please, by all means, do not ignore it. You need to be asking yourself the question, am I a fan of Jesus or am I a follower of Jesus? He has called us. He wants us to be a follower. But I, I propose to you today that there are many more, more, far, far more fans of Jesus than there are followers of Jesus. And again, I'm not going to judge anybody, but just from my own thoughts and observations. I read a book probably about a year ago called Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. And I would strongly recommend anybody who's wanting to go further into this conversation on your own, in a small group or whatever, you pick up that book. It's sold over uh, half a million copies. A great book. Easy to read but yet penetrating to the heart. It is what motivated launched me into my own soul-searching encounter. How much of a follower of Jesus am I really? Or really do I look more like a fan and what is the difference because again you go back to that first photo clay matthews and the and the cheesehead guy there is no doubt there's loyalty and commitment on both people's part there's no doubt that there is they're bleeding green and yellow there's no doubt there's no doubt but there's a difference and the difference that i speak of today is a very very thin line a very, very thin line. And I'm not in any way casting rocks or throwing stones at, at fans because I think you've got to be a fan before you become a follower. You'll not see followers before fandom. But what, what happens is you cross over that very thin line and you must at some point in your life, I pray you will, maybe even the next few months, you will make that sold out, surrendered commitment to being a follower. Of Christ, Let's get some common ground here. If we're going to go through this series and we're going to talk about fans and followers, I, I want to talk about it in, 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 on the same page as everyone else. So what does it mean to be a fan? Let's just use a Webster's Dictionary definition. We'll all be on the same page with this. It means enthusiastic follower. Or admire, excuse me, enthusiastic admirer. There's no doubt when you look at any of those fan photos that I just showed you that those people are enthusiastic admirers of their cause, their team, what they believe in. Follower is another one. Follower is someone who does what other people say to do. Now we've do, we've kind of. Do, created a little bit of derogatory feeling when it comes to follower. You you ought to be your own person. You ought to do your own thing. You ought to call your own shots. And to some degree, that has played us detriment when it comes to the faith. Because, yes, you need to be your own person, and and I'm all for that, and and follow your dreams, and I'm all for that. But really, really, in every sense of that, I call you, God calls us to be a follower of him. Who are you going to follow? Who are we going to follow? It's the message throughout. And I hope as you look at this thin line, you examine yourself. Am I a fan? Am I a follower? Where do I stand in the whole thing? I hope and pray that between now, because this series will take us right up to Easter, that I hope between now and Easter, this soul-searching question will be resolved. There will be a self-discovery moment where you will put a stake in the ground and you will declare yourself hopefully a follower, but if not, you'll at least, at least know who you are and where you stand. Because you can be very favorable for Jesus and still not be with Jesus. Jesus had a very clear calling that he put on his followers. When he called Peter and Andrew, brothers, together in Matthew chapter 4, he said this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. Again, what is it a follower? A follower is a person who does what someone else says. Are you a follower? Peter and Andrew were called to be followers. Matthew was called when he was still at the table collecting taxes. It says, he passed by and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Don't make light of this. You're going to see this commonly throughout the Gospels. The four books of, uh, of our Bible, of the New Testament, verse 4. Philip was called and he said the next uh, day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said, follow me. You can't get away from it. You and I even are faced with the same decision today. Are we willing to follow? I want us to read this out loud together. And he said to all, if anyone, read it with me, if anyone, insert your name, Okay, that's where you go, insert your name, not Mike, okay? (laughs) If anyone, good job, would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. Anyone, includes you, includes me, includes everybody, includes your children, there is a call to be a follower of Christ. But let me read to you, and let's again, let's understand a little bit more what it means to be a fan. You may be a fan, and every week I'm going to give you one summation statement that will hopefully help you put your arms around this. You may be a fan today if you know about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. If you could go to catechism class, if you could go to Sunday school class, if you could spout off verses, if you know John 3.16 from memory, if you've got all this Christian history and you know about the Reformation and you know about the Catholic Church and the Baptist Church and the Methodist Church and you have all of this knowledge, you could easily insert a false belief that I'm okay because I'm a Christian and self-declare yourself that all of a sudden. I'm not trying to create doubt, but I am trying to make sure that that line does not stay gray. You understand who you are in light of this book, in light of the Scriptures, because here's the reality. And this verse, I will say, is the theme all-time life verse for fans, okay? This is the fan verse. Are you ready for it? These people... Honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Let that verse sink in. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They got the words down. They got the praise songs down. They, 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 in fact, they they download these songs that we sing on Sunday morning. They listen to KLRc. When I say go buy this book, they go buy the book and they read it and they buy one for their friends. They go through everything. They know when to say Amen and they know when to clap their hands and they know when to stand and set and they know when the offering basket comes to duck their heads and turn and go the other way. They know all about that. They have figured out the Christian routines. but their hearts are far from me. Who are these people? Who are these people today? But who are these people that he's speaking of? Because I can think of a lot of people that might fit in that category, that they, yes, I honor you with my lips, God, but my heart is so far from you. These people that he speaks of are the Pharisees. Now, I know that we all know about the Pharisees. Those are the big, mean, antagonist people in Jesus' life that hated him, wanted to kill him, and on and on and on. We all have our ideas and, uh, and concept of what a Pharisee is. But let's kind of erase some of that today. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay, would you do that? Let's give the Pharisees the benefit of the doubt because I believe with my heart, and I think as I study and understood the Pharisee system, they were around since the time of Ezra, They have not always been, but they actually had very good intentions. I mean that. They had good intentions. They really, really, really wanted to be close to God. They really, really wanted to protect the temple. They really, really, really wanted to protect the Scriptures. They really, really wanted to do what was right. They really, really wanted to. Josephus, a first century historian. And also a Pharisee himself said this. Pharisees were extremely influential among the town folk. They were on city councils, school boards. They were very influential among town folk. And all prayers and sacred rites of divine worship are performed according to their exposition. Basically, they were the keepers of the book. They were the keepers of God's law. They were the keepers of God's way. And they were the ones who called the shots religiously. They had it down. They were so to the detail. Let me say this. They were so to the detail that if they had a garden and they had mint that grew in their garden, they would raise up that mint, pick the mint, and they would count the leaves of those mints. And then they would keep one mint leaf for themselves and give, excuse me, they would give one mint leaf to the temple and they would keep nine for themselves. If they grew up cumin, they would literally count out the cumin cloves and make sure that God got one tenth of every cumin. They knew how many steps that it would take before your heart rate would grow and you would begin to to exert yourself too much on a Sabbath. And they set laws in place to make sure you wouldn't walk too far on the Sabbath. I'm talking about very good, intentionally-minded people. But what did Jesus say to them? Five times in one chapter, chapter 23 of Matthew, He said, woe to the Pharisees. Woe to the Pharisees. Woe to the Pharisees. Beware, Pharisees. You're you're, you're messed up, Pharisees. You're missing it, Pharisees. He was warning them. He was calling them. Who are these Pharisees? Again, we need to unpack that. Because they honor Him with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. They're, they're, some of them were even fans. Now, I know that we have this idea the Pharisees were the big, mean, evil people, the opponents of Jesus, the antagonists of Jesus. But, yeah, and you might see that on a grid. If You might look at some of the Pharisees. They were turned off and tuned out. They wanted to kill Jesus as early as chapter 3 of Mark. Not all of them did, but some of them did. Some of them were fans, though, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment. They were notional, nominals. They were liking where Jesus was going. They weren't fully in on it, but they were moving in the right direction. And then there were truly followers. And what do those people look like? The fundamentalist Pharisees were the opponents. The seeking Pharisees were 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 an example of a few. And then there's the Peter and the Mary Magdalene. Which camp are you in? The opponents plotted to kill him and tested him. The fans were hospitable to him. We'll find out in Luke chapter 7. You'll find where Simon, a Pharisee, invites Jesus into his home for dinner. That's not an antagonist. He was very welcoming of Jesus. They sat down for a meal together. It's a beautiful story, a lot, a lot to unpack in that story alone. But where we're going to be is in the Gospel of John. Take your Bibles there. In John chapter 3, because there's a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus. We're going to call him Nick for short and he is clearly a ruler of the jews he is a part of the sanhedrin which was the upper class it was uh, upper class it was like the it was like the fraternity of of uh, pharisees there were only seven of them out of uh, 70 out of all of them and nicodemus was one of them but when you look at nicodemus and when you look at this you'll find that he was not an opponent he would be in that fandom category. He would be notional nominal. He was seeking. He was inquiring. And in John chapter 3, a very familiar passage to probably 90% of the people in this room, but I don't know if you've ever heard it unpacked. And we're going to find and you're going to see where Nicodemus was clearly a fan of Jesus. Now, some believe he, go, he goes on to become a follower of Jesus. There's no chapter and verse that definitively gives us that, but there's indication that he might have. All right, but let's begin in John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, just to kind of lay the foundation. And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he's not a slackard. He's not an entry-level guy. He's a top-ranking individual. All right, verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, what did he say, Rabbi? Notice the uh, dear, uh, the, uh, uh, the the term, uh, the uh, the honor, the respect that he gives to Jesus. He was not in any way derogatory. We have we know that you are a teacher, come from God. You are clearly not a man. You are clearly not just any old teacher in the the rabbi school or the Sabbath school or or anything like that. You, my friend, are a teacher from God. Sent from God. How do we know that you're sent from God? For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. There is no doubt. I mean, not only have we heard you speak, know your teachings, but then we watch what you do. We watch how you turn water into wine, how you bring death to life and how you, you, you do this. We, we don't understand. You have got to be from God. Now, I want to see in this that Nicodemus or Nick goes through a clarifying moment that everyone in this room, I pray, will go through. What's the best way to clarify something? Ask questions. I want us to ask three questions today that will hopefully help clarify. Am I a fan, much like Nicodemus, or am I a follower? Ask yourself these three questions. Number one, what does it take to be with God? I think the real question behind Nicodemus coming to him and, 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 and talking to, to, to him at that night was to find out how in the world... You are from God. You are sent from God. You're a teacher from God. How is it that you are so connected, listen, connected to God? You have this thing with the man upstairs. You have this thing with him. We have been in all of our religious pursuits as a Pharisee and a ruler of the, of the Pharisees. We have been everything about trying to connect with God. And here you are. I'm putting a whole lot of paraphrase into that. But that's, what I think, the conversation that's going on here. What happens? How is it? What, how, how does a person get connected to God? And Jesus is going to introduce a phrase that's going to blow the circuits of Nicodemus' mind. You must be born again. That's the answer. You must be born again. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see, he cannot engage, he cannot be a part of, he cannot experience, he cannot know, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You want to know me and how I connect with God. You want to know me and how, how I'm from God. You're wanting to know about the kingdom of God. You want to know about all that. Listen, forget it all until you have been born again. Forget it. That is a prerequisite. Not that I'm putting on the, on the deal. Mike McDaniel's not putting on the deal. But Jesus Himself is putting on it. You want to connect with God? You have got to be born again. How do you connect with God? I listen, I get it. Some people say I connect with God out in nature, getting a deer stand, and I, I can connect with God. I get it. I enjoy nature diving. I enjoy, I really connect with God in creation. Artists, they connect with God in the wonder of art and creation and how creativity and art come together just as God created the heavens and the earth. You connect with God. I get it. I'm with you. Some people connect with God when there's incense, burning candles, burning certain kinds of music in the background. They connect with God. It's a pathway to God. Some people connect with God when they're in a deep theological discussion or a book. That's how they connect with God. Other people connect with God when their hands and their feet are dirty and they're in a third world country and they're taking care of orphans and they're taking care of widows and they're, and they're loving on the, the under-resourced. They connect with God. I get it. I get, I, I, I'm that way. I connect with God that way. But listen... That's only a pathway. It's only a pathway. I've got to come back here to the gateway first. And the gateway is I must be born again. I must be born again. I must be born again. If you've not been born again, forget it. Everything else is is on the tables, up in the air. The pathway to God is through being born again. Benjamin Franklin, one of the great statesmen of our nation an inventor, who knew creation and experienced creation as he discovers electricity living in the 1700s. We all know Benjamin Franklin. George Whitfield was a British preacher, pastor, teacher in that same period of time who had great influence over the land as well. He was a part of the first great awakening across our land. He wrote a letter to Benjamin Franklin one time, and this is what he said. In his old world English, he says, I find that you grow more and more famous in the learned world as you have made your much progress in investigating the mysteries of electricity. I now humbly urge you to give diligent heed to the mystery of the new birth. It is most important and interesting study, and when mastered, will richly repay you for your pains. Let me say to you, business people, let me say to you, successful people of Northwest Arkansas, let me say to you, educated people of Northwest Arkansas, listen, you have done well in what you have done and made of yourself and your family, but it is time, please, to do diligence, to heed, to understand, what is this mystery called the new birth? What is this mystery? Because you will not connect with God and you will not know God and you will not experience the kingdom of God. You will not unless you have been born again. It's not my words. It's the words of Jesus Himself. Second question, clarifying question in your life and my life is what does it take to be born again? It's natural. It's progressive. I must be born again. Okay. If I'm going to connect with God, okay. What does it take to be born again? The second thing is, the answer to that is spiritual birth. There has to be a spiritual rebirth. Now, again, you gotta put yourself in, in Nick's sandals. I mean he blows the circuits of his mind here at this point. He said, One of those be spirit be born again, and, and we'll come to that in just a moment. Because the Pharisees had their idea of what it meant to connect with God. It was do your fasting and do your tithing and do and don't work on the Sabbath. They had all the Ten Commandments down. They added, I think I told you in the beginning, 613 laws to apply the 10 laws that God gave. Seriously, 613, they had how many steps you could walk and how you would tithe and what you would do and not do. They had it down to the T. They told you when to fast and when not to fast. Remember, they were respected townspeople. They were not religious, isolated people over here on a hill. They were the ones making up the community laws and rules. They were respected. They had it down. I like the way that Eugene Peterson puts it about Jesus' disciples. He says, John's disciples were well known for keeping the fast and the sayings uh, uh, and saying prayers. Also the Pharisees. But you seem to spend more time in parties. A bunch of partying disciples. Now, don't take it the way you might take it. They kept eating. They kept going back for seconds. When everybody else was fasting over here, they weren't keeping the religious laws that the Pharisees had told them to keep. There was a difference. And then God says, no, you've got to be born again. It blows the circuits of Nicodemus's mind. In verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, that unless one is born of water and of spirit, of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is the flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is the spirit. And there's verses that go on, but let me just stop right there. He says there's two births. Yeah, yeah, Nicodemus, you got it right. Yeah, you got to be born once, but you got to also be born a second time. You got to be born once in water, and you know what that is. That's whenever that baby is sitting in the water in the womb of the mother and that ammionic flood is there holding the baby and then the baby is the water bursts and the baby comes. That's first birth. Yes, Nicodemus, you've got to be born of water. You've got to be born of the flesh. But he also says you've got to be born of the Spirit. This is where it gets spiritual and mystical. This is where George Whitfield said to Benjamin Franklin, hey, listen, you've got to pay attention to the mystery of this. you got to get in on this. You've got to be born again you got to have a spiritual rebirth that happens in you. A guy named Charles was born in Boston in 1931, and he grew up very educated, ended up becoming uh, an advisor to the president. His name was Chuck Colson, or short for Chuck Colson. He went to Brown University. He graduated from honors from George Washington University. He became a Marine, a captain in the Marines. He goes on to assist uh, the Secretary of Navy. He becomes very high and influential, even sitting at the uh, desk of the president. He began to develop a reputation called the hatchet man. He was very much the man who would not be afraid to fire somebody at the drop of a hat. The media said of him, and I quote, he was incapable of humanitarian thought, is the way they describe Chuck Colson. He became the special counsel to the president from 1969 to 1973. And if you know any bit of history, you know, in that period of time is when Watergate happens. And one of the fall men in the Watergate scandal was Charles Coulson. Charles ends up spending some time in prison, goes to prison, goes to Alabama to prison, goes to Maxwell Prison in Alabama where he spends a little over... Seven months of a one to three year sentence. But those seven months were dark seven months. Because here's a man who rose to power and fame and influence and now everything that he had built his life on, everything that he had hoped to live his life for without any recognition of God or Jesus or anything else was now gone. Everything was gone. Emptied, broken, impoverished. It was while he was in prison that he had an encounter with this book and the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God spoke to him and Charles Colson was genuinely born again. Now, every one of us has known family, friends, somebody who's been in prison and had that jailhouse conversion. But I can tell you right now, when Chuck Colson got saved, he was truly saved. He wrote a book about being born again. He comes out of prison. After he gets out of prison, he doesn't go back into politics. He doesn't play the political, uh, political, uh, politic, uh, 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 dance and, and, and try to get back in. He stays in ministry, starts prison, uh, uh, fellowship, Um, uh, ministries and begins to serve those who do not know Christ that was in the same position as him giving out Bibles serving people behind bars Chuck Colson is now gone to be with the Lord but I want to say this to you that if Chuck Colson had to be born again every one of us if Nick has to be born again every one of us must be born again third question how does this spiritual birth that you speak of take place? It's a legitimate question. How do I connect with God? I got to be born again. How am I born again? It's just through a spiritual birth, not just a physical birth, a spiritual birth. How, how does this spiritual birth take place? Through personally believing, committing your life. Personally believing with all your heart. Now, Jesus was asked a question, how does this thing happen in verse nine? How does this thing happen? I love Jesus, obviously, but the the point is, is that I love the way he deals with people. He doesn't hardly ever answer them directly. He has asked 183 questions in Scripture. He only directly answers them three times. He turns right around and asks them another question. That's exactly what he does here. How can this thing happen? He starts asking Nicodemus questions. I don't have time to get into all those questions. But then he lands on verse 16. Now, how many of us know John 3.16? You know it from memory. Raise your hand. All right. Most of us. You see it on people's faces. You see it tattooed on bodies. You see it at football games. You see it all kinds of places. Out of the 41,173 verses in the Bible, I would dare say that John 3.16 is the most popular. And so... Without neglecting it, let's read it, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. He gives in there. Whoever believes, Nicodemus, if you believe, Chuck Colson, you hatchet man, if you believe, the hardened criminal behind bars, Adolf Hitler, listen to this, could have believed and become a believer and been born again. I don't care who it is or what you've done. Whoever believes on the Son of God, in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ, should not perish. Now, you say, oh man, I'm all in on that one. I all have to do is give some kind of intellectual assent. Hey, I believe in Jesus and everything's okay. Listen, we don't understand the word believe, if that's what we think believe is. Belief here is so much more than just some intellectual knowledge. Do you realize that only five times Jesus calls us to believe in him, but 20 times he calls us to follow him? 20 times, because what is belief? Belief is the gateway that starts us down a path to following Jesus. He's called us to follow him. And we start with belief, and that belief opens up the gateway that we now start following Him and living our life for Him, under Him. And verse 16 is such a beautiful verse because it it, kind of launches us. It says so much in one verse. But let's not stop reading. Or we'll majorly miss a, a, a powerful verse, verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. I want you to hear what I'm about to say and hear it with a lot of grace and a lot of warning. Everyone in this room, everyone in this room, everyone beyond this room, everyone listening to this this message, everyone watching this message, listen to this, is either living, verse 16 or verse 18. Either you have believed and you have been born again You've given your life to Him. You're following Christ. Oh, yeah, Mike, I went through catechism. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, Mike, I was baptized. No, 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 no. We're not talking about that. You have believed to the point that you've given yourself to following Him and you are following in the footsteps of Christ. You're walking with Him. You are going with Him. When He says stop, you stop. When He says go, you go. Because remember, that's what it means to follow. You do what somebody else says to do. That's what it means to follow Christ. We're moving beyond fandom. We're talking about following. Or you're living verse 18. Those who haven't believed, they're condemned. They're condemned already. Mike, I don't like where you're going with this, man. You don't don't normally preach like this. You don't talk like this. You're talking about condemning and hell and all those things. Listen. I'm standing in the middle of the road saying, listen, Jesus came that you wouldn't die, that you wouldn't be condemned, that you wouldn't go to hell, that you would be set free. I'm telling you that. Jesus came to do that so that when you become a follower of His, you don't die. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to set us free. He came to give us new life. So many people ah, I'll wait for later. I'll do it later. If you've not believed and given yourself to Him, according to verse 18, you're condemned already. Another verse, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Great, start it. Start that gateway. Get into that pathway to following Him. Whoever has the Son, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The sad reality is that so many people will come into a church, so those 30,000 fans that will follow into the stadiums called churches today, this weekend, those, many of those are fans. Because the reality is, is to be a follower means you have to give up part of yourself. It means you have to give up your will, your ways, your wants, and you, you're now following the ways and the desires of a God who loves you deeply and wants the very best for you both now and for all eternity. But you don't... Hey, listen. Jesus is not going to force Himself on you. If you do not believe, you have to, You live, verse 18. Let me tell you a true story as I close. George Wilson, in 1829, committed a crime or had committed several crimes and stacked up to the point that George Wilson ends up being convicted, tried, convicted, and sent to prison to be hung. What he had done is he had stole mail car he had stolen mail and had 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 committed murder. Murder was what caused him to gonna lose his own life. The accomplices with him, as soon as they were convicted, they were taken out and hung to death. Till death. George Wilson somehow found a window of grace and was able to go to prison in Pennsylvania, found himself locked up. Somehow, some way, somebody knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody and and contacted a guy named Andrew, I think he's on our $20 bill, Jackson. And Andrew Jackson intercepts the situation and says, no, 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 we're not going to kill, we're not going to hang George Wilson. This is all, you can all research this, it's all online. It's the case is uh, USA versus George Wilson. You can do some afternoon research. George Wilson received a pardon from the President of the United States. Wasn't that great? Get a second chance. What happened is the President sent the letter, and I read the letter this week, sent the letter down to to the governor, and the governor took it to the warden of the prison, and the warden of the prison took it to the cell where George Wilson was, and he read it to him and said, hey, you've been pardoned. You're free to go. George Wilson did something that I don't know that anybody else has ever done, but he refused his pardon. Nobody ever refuses a pardon from the president, but George Wilson did. Back up, the warden told the governor, the governor told the president, what are we going to do? We've just given this guy a pardon and he's not taking the pardon. What are we going to do? There was a lot of talk about what we were going to do. He stayed in jail until they decided. It ends up at the United States Supreme Court. And John Marshall who is the chief justice, and I read from his direct words. He says, A pardon is a deed. It's a piece of paper. To the validity in which the delivery is essential and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if it is rejected, we have discovered no power in the court to force it upon him. My friends, today, we didn't just receive a pardon. Somebody paid for our sins. But if we get the word, if we get the word and we reject it, we reject it and we walk away from it. We live in that condemned state. My friends, God's not going to send anybody to hell. We send ourselves. If we can sit in a room like this Sunday after Sunday, and be a fan Sunday after Sunday and never give our life to following Christ. We send ourselves to hell. I want to call each and every one of you past that line of gray, past that line of unknown to a distinct line that says, I am a follower of Jesus Christ from this day forward. The way we're going to do this is I'm going to pray. The band's going to come back and sing. I have going to have scattered throughout this room Some folks some folks standing here at the front, some folks on the landing, they'll have some lanyards on, and you can go to them. These are my prayer partners that I go to. When I need prayer, they're willing to pray with you. You just go to them and say, hey, I I don't want to be a fan any longer. I'm ready to be a follower of Christ and to put my stake in the ground this day. I'm going to believe in him. I want to follow him. I want to go with him. Let's pray. Father God, may there not be clouds in this room. May there not be gray in this room. May there not be wondering in this room. May there be an emphatic understanding that I am either a fan of yours, Jesus, liking you, loving you, hanging out with you, Jesus, or I am a follower of you, Jesus. Committed, surrendered, Your will becomes my will. Your way becomes my way. That we will know, Lord, that we have been born again, spiritually born again through believing and trusting and following you, Lord. May there not be any doubts. Lord, we thank you and we bless you for this time and these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and sing with us. Respond as the Lord leads you.